0: Scripture will be from Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14. Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we sh- should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that we might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous of good works. Good evening and welcome again to our worship service. We're very grateful for your presence. We're thankful for such a beautiful day. It has been a good day. We've had the opportunity to honor four of our graduates, and we trust that they will have a long and useful life in God's service. We are very thankful for the accomplishments that they have enjoyed thus far, and we look forward to hearing great, great things from them in the future. We have more coming on that will be seniors next year, and so we'll be looking forward to recognizing them next year. We're very grateful for our young people, for their influence, and for the example that they set, And we pray that God will continue to richly bless this group of young people in our midst. We're going to be looking at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14 tonight. And we're going to be talking about the theme, living godly in an ungodly world. John, the apostle, in writing toward the latter part of the first century, said in 1 John chapter 5 at verse 19 that the whole world lies in darkness or lies under the sway of the wicked one. We know that the devil is called the God of this world in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, at verse 4. And so the world in which we live is literally engulfed in spiritual darkness. And so as God's people, sometimes it is very challenging to us to live a godly life in such an ungodly world. The world in which we live is filled with moral corruption, pollution, if you please. And so how do we live as God would have us to live? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 at verse 13, that we are to be the salt of the earth. We are to use the influence that we have as a leavening agent for good in this world. In verses 14 through 16 in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus instructs us to be the light of the world. And in so doing, we hope and pray that we, that we will bring honor and glory to Almighty God. And so I want us to look for just a moment at Titus chapter 2 as we think about this theme living godly in an ungodly world and the first thing that I want to call your attention to is the salvation that we enjoy in Christ and really that's the first thing that Paul emphasizes here in verse 11 and that is salvation in Christ the freedom that is ours to enjoy in Christ Jesus. You remember Jesus said in John 8, verse 32, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. To know that we can be free in Christ Jesus, that we are no longer in captivity to sin, but rather we have been freed or liberated. Some might say that in Titus 2, verse 11, we have our liberation in Christ, And it's true, we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And so look at verse 11. Paul writes, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. We talk about this freedom that we enjoy in Christ or the salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus. The first thing I want to call your attention to is the source of our salvation. The source of our salvation is spelled out by Paul. He said the grace of God that brings salvation to every man. God is the originator of our salvation. He is the one that literally planned and purposed for our redemption or our salvation. Listen to Jesus in John 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Paul writes, But God commendeth His own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then also we think about Paul's writings. Over in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, He said, But God, who is rich in mercy, for the great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, has made us alive together with Christ. For by grace have you been saved. So God is the one who authored our salvation. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in chapter 1, he said, God has from the beginning chosen you in him, That is, in Christ, unto adoption. God is the one that planned for this redemption that you and I so richly and abundantly enjoy. So God is the source of our salvation. But there's a second thing that Paul alludes to here. Not only do we have the source of salvation spoken of by Paul, but the scope of our salvation. Look, if you would, at verse 11. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared, listen to him, to all men. Salvation has been made possible to all people. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, according to 2 Peter chapter 3 at verse 9. Listen again to the words of Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 4. Paul said God would have all men, that is A-L-L, all men, To be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That word men there in the original simply means male and female. Both men and women. God desires the salvation of all people. Do not let anyone ever tell you that God is not interested in your salvation. Do not let anyone tell you that God does not want you to be saved because God does. God is interested in the entirety of Of humanity. God gave His Son for all people. And so, you and I, when we step back and we think about how in our world today so many people are are prejudiced and so many people want to draw literally party lines, well, when it comes to the scope of our salvation, God's decree is that all men can be saved. And the power or the means by which people are saved is the gospel. Again, when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said, In whom you also believed, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Paul was writing to people that had obeyed the gospel. And so over in chapter 2, he said that Christ has reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body under God through the cross. God's purpose was to save both Jews and Gentiles into one body or in the church. And so we talk about the source of our salvation, the scope of our salvation, and then also the surety of our salvation. Look again at verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Then drop down and look at verse 14. Here he speaks of Christ. He said, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. Here's something to think about. When Christ died on Calvary's cross, he effectively dealt with sin. There is no sin beyond the scope of God's redemptive plan. In other words, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been, it doesn't matter what you've said, whatever you and I have done in this life, if we will but turn to the Lord, we have the assurance that we can be forgiven. Now there are people in our world today, they have the idea that because they have said or done something that they shouldn't have, or because they've been involved in this kind of a lifestyle or that kind of a lifestyle, that God will in no way redeem them, that God will not forgive them. That's the devil's lie. God will redeem anyone who is willing to submit to his will. Listen again to Paul. He speaks of Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. We live under the Christian dispensation. And the beauty of Christianity is that it offers people hope. We live in a world that has been darkened by sin. We see, the, we see the moral corruption or pollutions of this world in every sector of society. And it's true, there are people that, have, that, that are mired in sin. They are, as we say, knee-deep in a life of sin. But that doesn't mean that they're beyond hope. When the Hebrew writer wrote in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, he went back and and cited the writings of Jeremiah when Jeremiah prophesied of a new covenant. That new covenant is the covenant under which you and I now live. It's the last will and testament of Christ, of which he is the mediator, according to Hebrews 9, verses 15 through 17. But the Hebrew writer said, Speaking of this covenant under which you and I live, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. To know that you and I have the assurance that when God forgives, He forgives. There are people in our world today, if, they, if you do something to offend them and you say, Look, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? They'll tell you, yes, I forgive you. And then it may be the case that two or three weeks later, what do they do? They come back and they hold over you what you did. They said, you remember when you said this, or you remember when you did that, or you remember when you went here, or you you went there. That's not the way God operates. No, God says that when He forgives, He forgets. The idea is He doesn't dredge it up. He doesn't remind us of what we've done in the past. Aren't you grateful that you and I live under a system like that? Go back and look at the Jewish Jewish system. The Bible says there was a remembrance made every year of those sins. Why? Because it wasn't possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. But Christ died on Calvary making it possible for us to enjoy salvation in Christ, So first of all, we talk about this salvation that has been made available in Christ Jesus. But there's a second thing that Paul talks about. That is education in Christ. Not only does Paul talk about our salvation in Christ, but he also alludes to our education in Christ. Note, if you would, what he says in verse 12. He's already talked about this grace that has appeared, bringing salvation to every man. And then he says, teaching us. The Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We have to have faith. And the whole purpose of teaching, the whole purpose of educating through the word of God is to produce faith in the lives of people. It's imperative. So what about this education that we enjoy in Christ? Well, let's just back up and ask this question. What's the purpose of God's Word? Well, the purpose of God's Word is to produce faith in the lives of people. When John wrote his gospel in, in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he reminded his readers of every age, that many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But he said, the things that have been written, those things that have been recorded have been done so, they've been recorded for a purpose. Well, what was that purpose? To produce faith. So that people might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, when Paul writes to Titus, he talks about how this grace has appeared. As a result of this grace... This salvation, there is instruction, there is education. And here's something that I would point out. Wherever the grace of God goes, education or instruction must follow. The two go hand in hand. Let me give you an example of that. Go back and read in Genesis, the sixth chapter. In Genesis, chapter six, the Bible speaks of the wickedness of mankind. Every imagination... Of the thought of man's heart, according to Moses, was only evil continually. And so God said, I will destroy man whom I've created, both man and beast. God was going to cleanse the world of sinful man. And yet in Genesis chapter 6 at verse 8, the Bible says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Here's the first time that grace is mentioned in the Bible. Now you can go back and read Genesis chapter 3 and see, and see the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and I believe that God demonstrated His grace in the garden toward the first couple because the penalty that was to be exacted was death. God said the day you eat thereof you will surely die and yet because of the, the graciousness of Almighty God He interposed Set forth the promised seed in chapter 3, verse 15, and began putting into motion his redemptive plan. But nonetheless, in chapter 6, we read explicitly of the grace of God. Noah enjoyed the grace of God. All right, so we said wherever God's grace goes, you have to have what? You have to have instruction. You have to have teaching. You have to have education. What what did God tell Noah to do in order to enjoy the grace that had been lavished upon him well in verse 14 god said make an ark of gopher wood and god set forth the dimensions of that ark in verses 14 and 15 and here's what it said in genesis chapter 6 verse 22 thus did noah according to all that god commanded him so did he in other words god lavished his grace upon noah and upon his family, in order for Noah to appropriate the grace that had been so bountifully bestowed on him, what did he have to do? He had to comply with the instructions of Almighty God. In so doing, the end result was salvation. Wherever God's grace goes, it naturally follows instruction must also come forth, and so when Paul writes and talks about this salvation that we enjoy in Christ Jesus, he said, salvation is followed by education or by instruction. And over and over again, we have instructions given unto us in the Word of God. Think for a moment about the salvation that we enjoy. Where is salvation? Well, it's in Christ, isn't it? Did you know that according to 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, that the grace of God is also In Christ Jesus. How do we appropriate the grace of Almighty God? How do we appropriate the salvation that's in Christ Jesus? The benefits and the blessings of the blood of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, Paul said that every spiritual blessing known to man resides in Christ Jesus. That's in Christ Jesus. The only way that you and I can get into Christ is by being baptized into Christ. When we're baptized into Christ then we are made the recipients of all of these spiritual blessings, among which are redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. No wonder Paul said in Ephesians 1, 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the beloved. And so, we talk about the salvation that is in Christ, and then the education in Christ. But there is a third thing that Paul alludes to, and that is, our regulation in Christ. And this has to do with our faithfulness. Now, we talk about living a godly life in an ungodly world. Is it possible for us to live godly in Christ Jesus? Well, I would hope so. As a matter of fact, Paul talks about this very fact. Now, there are some people that have the idea that once, once, once they obey the gospel... They can just do as they please. Well, that's not the case. As a matter of fact, Paul emphasizes the regulation that is imposed on us as the people of God. In other words, we're not at liberty to just live as we please, to do as we please. And there are some reasons for that. When Paul wrote to the saints in Rome in Romans chapter 6 verse 1, he asked the question, what shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Here was his response. God forbid. Some translations say, certainly not. How shall we that have died to sin live any longer therein? In other, in other words, we, we are to have gotten out of the sinning business. When we, when we obeyed the gospel, we were saying in effect that we're not going to be under the, under the, the system of sin any longer. We're not going to let the devil Rule in our lives anymore. We're done with that way of life. It's called repentance. It's called ceasing to live a life of sin. Paul talks about how, when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he talked about individuals that had been corrupted by a life of sin. He said, "Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God." And then he went on to say, neither fornicators nor idolaters or adulterers. Or homosexuals, or sodomites, or thieves, or covetous, or drunkards, or extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then he said, but such were some of you. Now the inference there is that that even though they had lived at one time in that way of life, in in that particular lifestyle, Paul was saying when they obeyed the gospel, they gave that way of life up. They got out of the sinning business. That's why Paul could say in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Well, why is that? Because we've gotten out of the sinning business. All right, so what about this faithfulness to Christ? There are some things that you and I need to remember in light of what Paul said in verse 12. He said, teaching us. That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The first thing we need to remember is that we have been blessed by God. God has richly blessed us as His people. Did you know that if you belong to the Lord or if, if you have been baptized into Jesus Christ, you have been blessed beyond compare? The psalmist said in Psalm 68, 19, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits or blessings. James said every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above. There are a lot of of blessings that we enjoy in this life. There are temporal blessings. There are are those blessings that are temporal from the vantage point. They have to do with our health, our well-being our food, our clothing, our shelter. We talk about all of the the many blessings that we enjoy materially and physically and mentally in this world. But there's something that exceeds that, the spiritual blessings that we enjoy in Christ. When John wrote in 3 John, he addressed or actually penned his letter to a man by the name of Gaius. And he said, Beloved, I wish or pray above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. I think what John was saying there is that Gaius had been richly blessed by Almighty God. If you're a child of Almighty God, you need to understand that you you belong to the Lord, that you're one of His children, that you are an heir of God, a joint heir with Christ. How richly blessed we are. Listen again to what Paul said in verse 14. He speaks of Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. To know that God has blessed us with salvation. Now, linked to that, the idea that we belong to God. As I said a moment ago, we are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. When we talk about this regulation, these regulations that have been imposed upon us as God's people, The reason is because we now belong to Christ. He's our master. We We are His slaves or His servants. When you obeyed the gospel, there was a change of ownership. Christ redeemed us with His own blood. That's what Peter said in 1 Peter 1 verse 18. He has redeemed us not by corruptible things but with the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Since Christ redeemed us, and since we have been so richly blessed by Him, when we obeyed the gospel, there was a change of ownership. The devil is no longer the one who's calling the shots in our life. The devil is no longer our master. The Lord Jesus Christ is. You see, He is our Lord. He is the one to whom we look for direction in life. So in light of all of that, here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which you have from God? He said, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, listen to him, which are God's. You belong to God. So everything that we do, everything that we say needs needs to be done in full recognition that God is the one who owns us. We belong to Him. We are to take directions in life from Him. In other words, what He says through His Word, that's that's what we want to employ. We want to do as He says. I said just a moment ago that based on Romans chapter 6, we're not at liberty to just live as we please. But rather, because we belong to Him and because we have gotten out of the sinning business, we're saying in effect that we're we're going to conduct ourselves in a godly way. Having said all of that, think with me in the third place of how we are to behave as children of God. God wants you to behave according to His Word. As parents, what is it we expect of our children? That they, that they behave us. That they honor our Word. Well, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, that we are the children, that we are the sons of God. If we're His children, if we are His sons, does it not stand to reason that He has the right to ask us to live in conformity to His will. So what is that will? Listen again to what Paul said in Titus 2 at verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. I said a moment ago that our goal, our objective in life is to live godly in an ungodly world. Now, sometimes that's easier said than done. Why? Because the forces of darkness are so strong. The devil is doing everything that he can to circumvent your faith. Do you think that the devil is happy that you belong to the Lord? Do you think the devil is happy when you say, I am surrendering all to Christ? Do you think the devil is happy when you make the decision, I'm going to be baptized into Christ, I'm going to give my life in His service? Absolutely not. If anything, the devil is going to work that much harder To get you back into his fold. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 26. Paul talks about those who are taken captive by the devil to do his will. You see at one time you belonged to the devil. And when he lost you he wasn't happy about that. And so now he's going to do everything within his power to reclaim you. How's he going to do that? Through ungodliness and worldly lust. He's going to make sin look appetizing and appealing to you. The Hebrew writer talks about the pleasures of sin. The devil can make the world look so tantalizing and so appetizing and so appealing. He is literally going to throw everything at you to make you say, You know what? I'm missing out because I'm not in the world. I'm missing out because I'm not a part of the world. Here's what John said in 1 John 2. Love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life are not of the Father but are of the world. And the world passes away. Here's what the devil doesn't want you to see. He doesn't want you to see that the things which are in this world are temporal. You see, if he can enslave you in a life of sin, if he can get you caught up in a sinful lifestyle and keep you in that way of life over a period of time, the chances are you're not going to leave his fold. The Hebrew writer talks about the danger of a hard heart. He said, Brethren, take heed lest there be in in any one of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, so long as it is called today, lest you you be deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. The devil knows that if he can get you back in his fold, the chances are... You're not going back to God. And so he wants to keep you caught up in that way of life. And Paul here is saying that as a child of God, we have to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. You see, at one point in time, we were all out in the world. When we gave our lives to the Lord, when we obeyed the gospel of Christ, we said we're done with that way of life. The song that we sing, No Turning Back, No turning back. What the devil wants is for you and I to turn back, to go back. And as we have emphasized time and again, you don't want to go back. If you go back, you're in deep trouble. You're in more trouble than you could ever realize. And so the devil, he appeals to us through the world, through the lust of the flesh. Think for a moment about what James said. James said... That friendship with the world is enmity with God. I think about it in these terms there is friendship, there is courtship, and ultimately it ends in love. You begin playing with the world, and before you know it, you've made a friend of the world. And once you become a friend of the world, once the devil gets you in that, in that, in that, Way of thought. In that vein of thought. He'll court you. And he'll make things look so good. And so appetizing. Before you know it. You've fallen in love with the world. And you're in deep trouble then. And so Paul said. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Here's what he said. We should live soberly. Righteously. And godly in this present age. God expects something better from us because we belong to him God is saying you can't just live any way you choose if you want to be pleasing in my sight if you're going to enjoy the vast benefits and blessings of my grace you're going to have to live in conformity to my will that is you're going to have to live soberly righteously you're going to have to have right thinking And right thinking and right actions go hand in hand. You're going to have to live a God-like life in this world. It's not always easy. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 5 verse 8, he said, you were once darkness. That's the state of those who are outside of Christ. They are in spiritual darkness. But he said, now are you light in the Lord. Walk in. As children of light, how am I going to walk as a child of light? How am I going to walk in a way that is pleasing to God? Well, I'm going to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. When people see me, they're going to say, Guess what? That's a Christian. When people hear me, they're going to say, Guess what? That's a Christian. When they see where I go, they're going to say, That's a Christian. Because why? Because I belong to God. And because I'm living a life that is regulated by the Son of God. He is the Lord of my life. Whatever He says, I'm going to do. I'm going to do my dead level best to live in conformity to His life. And in so doing, guess what? I'm going to bring honor and glory to Him. The whole reason that we exist is to bring glory to Almighty God. Let me just call your attention very quickly quickly, to the latter part of verse 14. When Paul writes and says that Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works, Paul is saying here that when you obey the gospel, you belong to the Lord. You are his own special people. The church is God's special institution. It is His bride. It is the the bride of Christ. And so it invokes right thinking and right actions on our part. There's a fourth thing that we see in Titus chapter 2. And that is the expectation of Christ. Did you know that one out of 25 verses in the New Testament speak of the second coming of Christ. Listen to what Paul said in verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The reality of His coming. Jesus is coming again. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 9, he speaks of those who eagerly wait for His Son. He said He will appear a second time apart from sin, unto salvation. Jesus came to earth, paid the price for our sins. He then ascended to heaven. The Bible says this same Jesus that went back to heaven is coming again. When he comes, we do not know. Here's what Jesus said, Of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now Paul pictures the second coming of Christ as a thief. Peter said, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. He said, the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth and the works therein shall be burned up. This universe, as you and I know it, it will be gone one day. Every building that has been erected by man will one day be destroyed in that great fire. Every bank that houses all of the money, all of the gold, all the bullion, guess what? It's going to be burned up. It's going to be destroyed. Everything that we see with the visible eye will be destroyed at the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's the reality of His coming. I do not know when Jesus is coming, but I know this. He is coming. And because of the reality of His coming, What Paul is saying is we need to live in a state of constant readiness. Readiness for His coming. Listen again to what Paul said. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are some people today that do not believe that Jesus is God. Paul said He is. He was the Word made flesh. He was the very one that brought this world into existence. He brought it into existence and he'll take it out of existence. And what Paul is saying is you and I, we need to live in anticipation of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul said, "...the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise." That's going to be quite a day. You just think about at some point in time in the future, you and I are going to hear the trump of God. We'll hear the voice of the archangel. Jesus will come. Now when Peter talks about the second coming of Christ in 2 Peter chapter 3, in light of the fact that the heavens will pass away with a great noise, the elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth and the works therein are going to be burned up. He said, he asked this question. What manner of persons ought you to be in all godliness and holy living? And here's the gist of it. In view of the fact that Jesus is coming, you better be living a godly life. You better be hope. You better hope to be found of Him without spot, blameless, fervent, faithful in the kingdom of God. Living godly in an ungodly world. It's not easy. I will be the first to admit. But I know this. We can live a godly life in Christ Jesus. We just have to set our mind to it. We have to live in view of His Word, and in anticipation of His coming. What about you tonight? Are you living a godly life in Christ Jesus? If your life is not what it ought to be, I would encourage you to come to Christ. What would you need to do to become a New Testament Christian? Well, the Bible says, first of all, you have to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. John 8, verse 24. You have to also repent to turn from a life of sin, Luke 13:3. Confess his name before others. Matthew 10:32. "Be baptized so that every sin will be washed away." Acts 22, verse 16. And then you have to live faithfully in the eyes of God or in the sight of God until death." Paul said, "Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Are you faithful tonight? If you're not faithful, why not come back to a loving God who will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.